But I have something to talk about. I discovered this new Instagram account. Uh-huh. It's called uh, Disappointing Affirmations. Okay. And it's, I sent it to you. And oh, I said, this no, is our cold open. Oh, no, you sent me so open. many things that I don't care about. But he yeah. literally never pays no, attention I do, to anything like, we do. Should like, I read no, one? I don't. Okay, wait, let me read one. Okay, Because this? this is like, I felt so perfect for our time. You actually did send me this? Yeah, and oh. I wrote, this is our cold open. Oh, okay. <laughs> And I ignore you. <laughs> yeah. That's what well, happens. actually, I'll just go to where I messaged it to you. How about that? Okay. And then uh, uh-huh. you, you, oh, you did ignored it. Yeah. yeah, I did. And I yeah. See. So it's called Disappointing Affirmations. It's an Instagram account. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's, here's one of them. Today, I will take control of my emotions. I am choosing anger. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, that's... Did They're I write hilarious. That? No, I know. That's what I thought. I was like, here's another one. Be kind to yourself, asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You're so good for now, right? And I did think of him when (laughs) I was like, this is perfect for you. So yeah, that's my plug today is that follow this. Because this is the kind of affirmations we need. We're living in such a shit show of a time right Right. now, right? The world is a dumpster fire. Yeah. It's brilliant. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Start the show. Anyway, okay. Uh, my name's <laughs> my name's JB Jones. I'm Alan Seamich. And welcome to Rough Cut. Hello. Yeah, I was like, what's the name of our cat? <laughs> <laughs> it's only we've only been here all day. It's the professionalism for me when it comes to the yeah, show. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and today we have a really special guest, Phillips Nazra. Did I pronounce your last name? Yet? Perfectly. Never even we never I know. You. Uh, wow, that is that really happens. Look at that. Yeah. We're off, to, we're off to a really good Oh, we yes. <laughs> yeah. we Forgot the name of our podcast, I but so I don't know about that. <laughs> Nailed the name of the guest. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. So yeah, we're really excited to have you here because you're gonna provide some really legit info. Like actual useful information. Yeah. Well, this so. show is us just sort of babbling for an hour and for some reason people all over the world listen and I don't understand Especially why. Especially in South Korea, yeah. as we yeah. discussed. Exactly. We're huge yeah. in South Korea. We yeah. should do yeah. a show live from Seoul one of these days. Yeah, we should. Yeah, we'll yeah. organize it. Yeah. But you get to actually give our audience useful information for their business, well, yeah. which I is astonishing. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. First. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start out reading your bio. This is a new thing I'm, I've decided I'm going to do. Yeah, I don't know that I love that you do that, but go ahead. You don't? I feel like it just drops just the, read info. the Read the bio. Read the bio. Oh, my God. Okay. okay. Uh, so Phillips is a, a board member, lecturer, and experienced general counsel known for providing practical, commercially-minded counsel to CEOs and business executives mm-hmm. as an integral part of the leadership team. That's amazing. Just so you know, okay, I'm done. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So, okay, I will run through the rest of it. Um, but you're currently with Fixer Advisory Group. You were previously at LVMH's Mark Jacobs, mm. where you had like four roles, <laughs> which was like it. You're really, kind of like a big deal. Why yeah, kind here? of a big deal. <laughs> uh, not kind of. He no, is. he is. And previously at David Yurman, we're going to talk a little bit more uh-huh. about these. David Yurman is uh, someone we talk about often. Yeah, people right. love to hear about yeah. that. Love David, David Yurman. Especially inside Scoop about the business. They mm-hmm. love that. It's an amazing brand. Yeah. Yeah, and you were also a board member of Jewelers Vigilance Committee, um, and you serve 
as a member of the advisory council for the College of Fine Arts at the University of Texas I at do. Austin. Are you yeah. from Texas? I am. Where are you from Texas? I'm I from, say this as if I've ever been. Exactly. <laughs> from Texas. I'm from here. Austin. Okay, great. Yeah. Oh, so everyone cool tells place. me. Thank cool God. Part. Yeah, everyone yeah. tells me that's the good city. Exactly. Oh, yeah. thank God. Yeah. A little yeah. back. Okay. Yes. The so in the great way. <laughs> so essentially, you're a lawyer, uh, yeah, uh, and you've taken on a, a bunch of roles <laughs> yeah. uh, that have extended from that. Right. But yeah. uniquely, and why you're here today is because it's been in the accessories and fashion space. Right. So exactly. how did how did you get there? I know I had a bit of a circuitous circuitous path, but uh-huh. um, I went to law school in Texas and then practiced law in Houston and Austin at a law firm called Vincent and Elkins. And then I started my in-house career actually for an energy company um, oh, in Houston. Okay. Okay. And then I went from there to um, a fast food company called oh, okay. Yum Brands. And I worked with everybody's favorite fast food brands KFC, Taco Bell, uh-huh. and Pizza Hut. Yeah, oh. yum. Wow. <laughs> and then from there, I made the obvious leap to fashion and accessories. As one does. As one does. From Taco Bell to Marc Jacobs. Yeah, that's such a natural leap to make. But you know, it's interesting. I, um, I had this conversation with um, my friend Louise Firestone, who was the longtime general counsel at LVMH. And uh-huh. she, um, she also came from a different background than than she had when she was with LVMH. Mm. And, you know, the kind of idea is that in the legal industry in particular, you know, our skill sets are are very transferable mm. and the issues are common, um, you know, sort of across industries because they relate to, you know, dealing with people, dealing with yeah. intellectual property issues, dealing with commercial issues and real estate issues. Mm. And, of course, when you gain expertise in fashion and accessories, you're that much better yes. yeah, yeah, able yeah. to counsel people of in course. that space. But, you know, the the work and, and the issues are, you know, all the based same, on the same, same yeah. you know, the same legal principles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, made the leap from um, the quick service restaurant industry to... Yeah. Um, to David Yerman, and, and really that was because um, a very close uh, partner and friend of mine um, was a very close friend of the Yermans as well, and they were mm-hmm. looking for a general counsel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so They're lovely. They are. They They're, are really lovely. They have built yeah. an incredible business, and I can talk for hours about the you know, the sort of legends about how they, they built their brand because I think yeah. it's so fascinating. Mm. It um, is. Fa- they, so they're sponsors of Jewelry Week or have, have been with us since year one. Oh, that's amazing. Actually, yeah, we never yeah. talked about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're really incredible and we've shared their story. Yeah. Year after year because <laughs> it is that interesting. It, it's such a great story and I yeah. learned so much there and I learned so much particularly about the jewelry industry mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it was a great opportunity. The The business wasn't tiny when I got there mm-hmm. um, by any stretch of the imagination, um, but it grew a lot mm-hmm. while I was there mm-hmm. and it has grown a lot. And so, um, you know, there's a real opportunity, you know, it wasn't the ground floor, but it wasn't too far from the ground floor, really kind of building a um, you know an infrastructure for for legal compliance mm-hmm. around all of the key issues that all jewelry brands are going to face, mm-hmm. um, right. you know, but particularly big ones like David yeah, Irwin. like David. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get into that, but before we do, let's talk about Mark Jacobs. Okay, because Mark Jacobs is like a New York star. Yeah. I mean, a global star, but in New York, we're all like, 
Mark Jacobs is a New Yorker. Exactly. What was that like? It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Mark um, is, you know, obviously an amazing designer and visionary um, and is the, you know, heart and soul Mm -hmm. of that organization. And then, you know, LVMH, um, and in particular, the, the CEO that's there now that brought me in, Eric Marshall, is, you know, sort of a retail Mm-hmm. Um, genius. He had previously been at Kenzo before coming to Mark oh. Jacobs, mm-hmm. turned that brand around. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I mean, I think it was well reported that, um, you know, in 2018 when I joined uh, Mark Jacobs, Mark Jacobs was, you know, there was struggling. And mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. the brand is mm-hmm. on fire. And yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah, I'm yeah. obviously partial because I, I, I worked there, but I, you see the brand everywhere. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that wasn't the case yeah. a few years ago. I mean, in fact, when I, in 2018, when I um, started there, if I saw someone wearing Mark Jacobs, I, I would ask them, would you work there? Because, you know, you, you just sort of assumed that they did, and yeah. indeed, most of the times <laughs> wow. they did. And then wow. now, it's, you know, everywhere. it's truly it's everywhere. everywhere. And yeah. what did you do for them? Because you had quite a few roles. Yeah, so I was um, general counsel, and then um, sort of during COVID and, you know, a period of restructuring, I also took on the head of HR role. Okay. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That is amazing. And now, so let's let's jump to now. Okay. Because this is what I think is so interesting for our audience. Now we're at a company called Fixer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us what that is yeah. and what you do there. So um, Fixer was founded by my good friend and colleague and partner, Nicole Mara, who was the longtime general counsel for the Caring Group and Gucci. Mm-hmm. And she had an idea, and, and then, you know, I sort of experienced the same thing when I was at LVMH, it, that... You know, at LVMH and at Caring, the you know the big brands all have their own you know internal everything. I mean, they yeah, have yeah. all the resources yeah. in the world, and so they have a legal department, and they have a real estate department, and they have a HR department, and they have you know everything they need. But Caring and LVMH are also made up of a lot of smaller brands, and particularly you know brands that maybe don't have resources in the U.S. but they might have offices back mm-hmm. in Europe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so they rely on what you know, it was called a shared services platform. And that shared services platform provides legal and HR and real estate mm-hmm. oh, and, wow. you know, IT and, and a whole host of services to these smaller brands. And so the idea was, could we replicate that model for independent brands yeah. that, you know, are up and coming that don't have the resources to ha- have their own, Right, you know, don't have LVMH. Yeah, don't like have LVMH Helping them, them along, Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, but, but still very much need that expertise, but don't need it on a full-time basis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so we come in and, you know, effectively provide sort of fractional um, general counsel support, HR support, um, real estate support. Um, we have a team that focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion, so sort mm-hmm. of, you know, yeah. culture and, and mm-hmm, diversity mm-hmm. issues. Um, and then we can build teams um, based on our clients' needs and rely on, you know, connections that we have from our, you know, multiple years working in the, yeah. the luxury industry and bring in, you know, CFOs, for instance, that can help on sort of a fractional basis that also come from the industry and know the business mm-hmm. quite well mm-hmm. yeah. and can really come in and be very effective um, at helping these up-and-coming brands yeah. um, with their issues. Oh, it's Amazing. so exciting. Yeah, that I feel like brilliant. it's so needed. And yeah. what a great idea, too, because um, otherwise, I mean, most of the people that we know who have independent brands, companies, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, 
up, as you know, strapped for resources all the time. Exactly. So to have like a centralized body like that, they can go to get what they need and then move on. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. No, we yeah. found that it works really well. And what, what I enjoy about it and what the sort of heart of our model is that we really want to become part of our clients' teams. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the way that we sort of work is we ask for our clients to sign up for a six-month retainer. Um, and then we, you know, typically, of course, lawyers work on a billable hour basis and we work on a retainer basis. So we want to create sort of an environment where nobody has to worry about picking up the phone and calling us and having, great. you know, us bill by the hour, yeah. but mm -hmm. you know, you, you know, the sort of sunk cost and, um, and then, you know, and then we can really dive in and be part of the team and kind of repl again, replicate the model that yeah. we both know from working in house, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, for so long and provide that same level of service to these independent brands. Amazing. And do most of the brands that you work with already have an established business or are they just new, new, new? It How runs, big do they need to be yeah. to yeah. make good use of your services? That's right. It's a great question. And, and it runs the gamut. Um, we think that that a client needs to be at about ten million dollars in revenue mm -hmm. to, you know, have sort of enough complexity to, you know, need us on mm -hmm. that kind of always on basis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, you know, somewhere around ten million to upwards of two hundred million, and then you know, with the thinking that once you approach two hundred million, you're likely going to have your own in-house teams. Yeah, yeah. Right. So like yeah. small mom and pop shops, really, is what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. we recognize that that there's a lot of a lot of activity yes. between you know zero and ten yeah. million. Yeah. Yep. And so um, we you know are are always thinking about ways that we can work with clients in that space because they obviously. Um, there's a lot of need there yeah. as well. Yes. And, and so it's something that we, you know, sort of toss around in terms of ideas about how we can deliver these services in a, you know, more cost effective, mm -hmm. um, but also more discreet way yeah. um, to clients that, um, that need our help, but aren't ready to pay a monthly retainer. Mm -hmm. Right. Should mm -hmm. we talk about some of those ideas? Let's jump ahead okay. to this Let's do it. part. Because mo most of our audience, as we told you when mm -hmm. you came on, are are those mom and pop <laughs> yeah. businesses? Yeah, a, a huge chunk are young independents. Yeah, uh, we have you you know a decent amount, not an enormous amount of people who would fit that category of being like in that ten million yeah. kind of you know starting range. Right. But how yeah. do the little guys prepare? Yeah. And what are exactly. they supposed to be thinking? I think the issue is they don't even know where to start or what they need to be concerned with. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, from our perspective, the way that we've engaged with, you know, smaller brands is we've done projects for mm -hmm. them. And so mm -hmm. we'll, you know, we'll do maybe a three month project where we'll agree a tight scope and we mm -hmm. will work with them on um, you know, setting up their company, for instance. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, kind mm -hmm. of to, to also talk about the issues that, that smaller brands face is, you know, you want to make sure that you've incorporated properly and that you and your partners have an agreement that, you know, clearly spells out everybody's, yeah. um, you know, uh, ownership stakes and, and rights and obligations. And, you know, what we often find is, you know, so many people go into business and they go into business with a handshake and something on the back of a cocktail napkin. Yeah. And then you start making money and then everybody starts looking around and saying, well, gosh, what do we do now? I want that. And I was promised yeah. this. I don't think you and I did anything. We did not. Even That's with why a, you're really here. Exactly. Yeah. We've That's never right. even shook hands. I don't think. That's no. right. We just, we just showed up. Well, cause, yeah. It, yeah. cause it all started during COVID and, well, yeah, that's yeah, the right? reason. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the real reason. True. We're like, the world's going to end anyway. Let's do yeah, a so podcast. Who gives a fuck? Let's just do something. 
Yeah. That's so true. So what do you think are like the, what's the first thing businesses or like two friends deciding they're going to do a business? <laughs> yeah. What's the first thing? I hope you're writing this down. About it? Well, yeah, I'm recording talking. it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'll play this back later. Yeah. Right. Um, well, look, I do think that it's just important, you know, that, that you're both on the same page about, um, you know, how things are going to be split. And that's in terms, you know, split of duties, um, split of, you know, roles and responsibilities, split of, um, you know, ownership yeah. in, in Making the, promises the enterprise. we don't keep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's us. And, yeah. And getting out in front of that at the beginning, because it's a lot more complicated when there's, you know, any sort of money that's now coming in. And, oh, yeah. and if you haven't clearly said, you know, how that will be divided, then mm-hmm. that's where relationships quickly begin to fray. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. I wouldn't miss them. <laughs> <laughs> my, my problem is I grew up in Germany, so my attitude is anytime a money conversation comes up, it's like, oh, no, no, don't talk to me about that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't want to hear about that's it. A, yeah. Grubby money. Yeah. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's for the bankers yeah. and the yes, lawyers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's not for well, me. Well, so when you and I were, were chatting before this, um, we talked about the bi- basics yeah. of business. Can you kind of run through what you think those are? Yeah, well, look, I think the other piece that, you know, particularly jewelers need to think about is protecting their intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, you know, a host of issues there, but, um, you know, one of which is in the sort of pantheon of fashion items, jewelry is somewhat unique because, you know, the sort of the law looks at jewelry as like a, a little sculpture. And so mm. it lends itself to copyright protection where, um, you know, most of fashion, you know, isn't copyrightable because, the, you know, the nature of copyright is it protects sort of artistic works. Mm. And fashion is, is ultimately utilitarian in that it's a, a blouse or a skirt or a, you know, a sweater. Mm. And all these things are basically inherently useful. Whereas the design of jewelry, you know, is, is a little piece of art, you know. Mm-hmm. And, so, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, jewelers should understand that they can um, protect their um, protect their designs and, and then by the same token you know you need to be aware of the, the you know designs in in your space and make sure that you're not inadvertently or advertently yeah. um, you know infringing on someone else's designs because you yeah. need to understand that they might have a copyright right. um, covering right. their designs and and something you see a lot of you know young or not young but startup, um, jewelers, you know, mistakes they make is is yeah. sort of not recognizing that somebody else might have rights. Um, yes. In or they're oh, not yeah, have, they don't educate yeah. themselves about the market. Or no, what's in the marketplace like, either. Right. Yeah. Exactly. We encounter or that they, all the time. I think a lot of people too will be like, I'm going to make the jewelry because I could do it cheaper. Yeah. Then yeah. Yeah, they want to do the same thing <laughs> on price and they think that's a viable. So it's not a viable speaking reason. of that sort of thing, how... I don't, I mean, I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. this is not some, a question we can answer on a podcast. Maybe this is like something we need like a judge to talk with us <laughs> about. But how does one even determine um, like the originality of a piece of jewelry? What would you need to look at? How would a judge decide whether or not the copyright has been infringed upon? I mean, it's so nuanced sometimes. Right. Well, um, it's a very interesting question, but you know, there's a couple of things. One is the the test for copyright infringement is substantially similar. So, are the pieces substantially similar? And so, right. obviously, there's a lot. But behind. what does that mean? Right. What does substantially similar even mean? And and I think you know, it it 
you know, certainly you know it when you see it. And then, you know. And like pornography. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you look at two items side by side and can a yes. reasonable person look at them and say, right. yes. yes. And then the other piece is access. And, mm-hmm. you know, has the, the you know, would-be infringer, is it clear that they, you know, had access to the original piece and that they likely copied it. And so, you know, one so intentionality is, is part of what we're trying to discern it, or it's not necessarily intentionality, but it's, it's, you know, if it's, it's a very obscure piece, um, you know, I, I suppose there could be an argument that, you know, there's just no way that I ever, you know, saw this before. Right. And so, right. I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't copy it, but if you're copying, you know, David Yerman or Louis, mm-hmm. Louis Vuitton or some, you know, yeah, yeah. major brand, it, it's going to be hard to argue that you didn't That you've never seen right. yeah. 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 Did you have a lot of the copyright issues to deal with it, David Yerman? We did because, you know, actually the Yermans, so to their credit, um, took um, protecting their IP very, very seriously. I'm sure. And, and they get copied a lot. And they get copied a lot. Yeah. And yeah. so we spent a lot of time um, both you know, seeking copyright protection for our designs and then going after people that, um, and one of the benefits of, um, seeking copyright designs for seeking copyright registrations for, um, for any jeweler is, you know, sort of twofold. One is, you know, obviously everything is happening on social media these days Mm -hmm. and the social media platforms are required to, and have these processes that enable you to have listings taken down. If, yeah. if they infringe, mm-hmm. but the, what, what the Instagrams of the world is go- are going to require is, you know, a legal document that says you have a right in that. Mm-hmm. And if you just say, look, this looks like mine, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you can show them, you know, a right. certificate, um, then they'll take it down. And so if you have that registration certificate and you can, you know, show yeah. Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, they'll take it down. And then separately, in order to bring a claim against somebody for copyright infringement, you actually have to have a certificate from the mm. copyright You office. have to have gone out and gotten a design patent of a, some yeah. sort. A copyright. A copyright. Yeah. And then um, that's the only way that you can then defend your design, right? right? You can't do anything unless you've done that part first. That's right. Okay. Exactly. How do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a government website. Exactly. No, I, if I was a jeweler, I'd be like, well, I think part of it too, and maybe you experience this, is creatives are so creative, exactly. and it's hard for them to make the to a I want to make time so much. to want to make. But a lot of them say this to me. I don't want to do think about that, it. I don't want to do it. And. Um, You're a business owner, know. first I and foremost. I, I mean, I don't understand that. Maybe that's my German I mean, German I just upbringing. think some people can't be everything, is how yeah, I feel. Well, well, look, no. I think how do you do it? I think how do you do it? why God invented creative people and why God invented lawyers. Great, thank you. <laughs> I agree. I'm sure you're very creative as well, in your own way. <laughs> in my own way, exactly. Cre- so, okay, they go to what? They Google it. They go to... <laughs> okay, fine. They Google it. Got they it. go to copyright.gov. <laughs> okay, thank the you. Government website. Yeah. What okay. did I say? You, and, and you pay a nominal fee, and I mean, you know, literally $65, $35. I mean, it's something really... Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah, there's yeah. sort of no reason not to do it. And look, you, you can't get everything protected. And obviously, yeah. the simpler the design... It can't right. be the harder it is, yeah. It, the harder it is, and rings are, are almost impossible to to um, the, right I because the, the nature of a ring is like it's know, a more, man. I wish it was. Goes on your yeah. finger. Yeah, yeah. But, so we have too many. I wish it was. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> the pen, your pendant, your this oh, medallion yeah. is something that you know would likely be subject to copyright. Yeah. Protection. yeah. Oh, 
Okay. Because yeah. it's unique enough unique to be enough. distinguishable. Yeah. And it is a decoration in and of itself. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not doing anything other than So decoration. a ring is yeah. considered utilitarian? Well, the ring itself. Like, so if you had a, a big cocktail ring, then maybe the, the design oh, on the top okay. of it. Ah, uh, I see, I see. But if it's like yeah. a simpler band situation like that, that yeah. would be harder to that would, copyright? Yeah, that would not be copyright. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Oh, interesting. But you raised a really interesting point, I, probably I inadvertently. But, um, <laughs> probably inadvertently. How dare you? <laughs> but see the, the smart one the and other, the pretty one? It's not fair. <laughs> uh, the other thing, the other kind of protection that, um, you know, that all fashion has available to it, but particularly jewelers, are design patents. And so you can seek a design patent, even in things like rings, Interesting. Um, you know, based on the sort of unique nature and novel nature of, of the design. It's a lot more expensive. It's like uh, yeah, and the process is, is longer and too. And the process is much yeah. longer. So let me ask you then: If I'm in a legal scenario where I have to defend my design, how does the design patent help me if ultimately what I need is a copyright certificate as well? Right, and so. Um, Sometimes, sometimes you know, copyright might not be available. And, and, but the, the issue with design patents is you have to decide all this before you even launch to the public. So the mm-hmm. minute you've launched to the public, you've lost it's, your right. Oh, you've lost the right to even yeah, get one. Exactly. Got it. So you have to do it b- before um, you publish. Mm-hmm. And you, um, you, know, you make a determination like, this is going to be a big deal. Like I, I, I put a lot of money developing this, and I know it's going to sell well. And I'm willing to spend you know, $10,000 on mm. prosecuting this application. Is that sort of the average cost of getting it, a design it, patent? It is. Yeah. It is. Okay. And so wow. it's, it's quite expensive. Um, but, um, you know, if, if, if all of the sort of stars align and it makes sense mm-hmm. to do, it can provide you some really great protection that you might not be able to get through a copyright. That's interesting. Right. Um, is there any reason that a jeweler would seek out if, the piece maybe does have a unique function of some sort or some sort of mechanical element, mm-hmm. uh, a utility patent or something like well, that. I, and I was that. thinking like that tech jewelry now, that like... There is that, that monitor, too. Like your ring, it's called like oral ring right. and it monitors your... Your heart rate, heart rate or something, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Counts I'm, steps. I'm sure they have a patent. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. they it's a would big have to. deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, just the cost. I mean, I think it, 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 the, the cost of first make, doing the analysis of whether or not you actually can get a patent and then the cost of pr- prosecuting the patent itself. Gosh. Um, yeah. But it is, it is something that is available. And then just while we're on the subject. So yeah. um, yes, yes. The, the other sort of interesting thing is that um, you can also apply for trademark protection if your design has become so identifiable with your brand that when people see it, they uh, recognize that that is, for instance, you know, a David German cable bracelet. You see a cable right. bracelet on someone's you think arm, of David, yeah. you immediately think of, of David yeah. German. In fact, David German owns a, um, a trademark for its most famous wow. um, cable bracelet. Interesting. That's interesting. So like something like the Cartier nail ring or something like that, because you, you immediately right. think Cartier. That, that's a, no exact, mistake. Yeah, it, right. the love bracelet, the nail ring, and those yeah. Are, yeah. are indeed trademarks of Cartier. Yes. And we were talking before this about the UK's hallmarking process. Yeah. And this is kind of our answer, right? All of these options. So a much more expensive answer than hallmarking. (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course. Well, this is America. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. So hallmarking um, is really about uh, certifying the fineness of the metals Mm, in the, um, in the piece of jewelry. And so, 
the the rules in the U.S. are that you are able to um, you know put a fineness stamp on your mm-hmm. on your jewelry, and, and people of course want to because you want yeah, to be able yeah, to yeah. demonstrate it's fourteen or eighteen karat gold or right. it's sterling silver. Um, and in the U.S., you you can do so. So you can put seven fifty for sterling silver, nine twenty five for mm-hmm. um, eighteen karat gold, but you also have to put your brand's um, trademark on it. And so mm-hmm. you, if you if you look at jewelry that's produced in the U.S., you'll see you know the nine twenty five, and then you'll also see you know it, it, in whatever sort of real estate is available, you know you'll see David Yerman or D Yerman or D Y, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and then in Europe because you know, they want to make things a little more difficult. They have this whole assaying process. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, you, so American, you know, brands that want to sell in Europe have to send their products to, um, these hallmarking offices in assaying offices, Mm -hmm. um, in Europe. And the, the sort of general thinking is the best offices are actually in the UK because they have a technology that can put the UK hallmark on the product without damaging the underlying oh, product. Wow. Whereas I understand that literally the process in France is they use like, you know, some sort of like a hammer and some sort of stamp. And sometimes it destroys the, uh, what, the, the French jewelry. are wild. No, those people are, <laughs> in, wild. They are wild. wild. They're insane. I, I've always That's thought that. That's so interesting. They're yeah, completely it's fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Wow. That yeah. is fascinating. So they're like, yeah, give me your product. I'll yeah. hammer and sickle <laughs> at it. it, 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 it yeah. It's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. No wow. big deal. Wild. Yeah. Yeah, well, so a lot of those specifics you were talking about, like the 14K, and well, I guess just to um, compliance in general, is something that the Jewelers Vigilance Committee is very focused on. And you were on the board. Right. Of that, And that's how we met. Exactly. JVC. We mutual. Exactly. Yeah, JVC. Through our good friends, Stephanie Ste- and Tiffany uh, Stevens. Tiffany Stevens, yeah. So I'd love for you, for you to share why you think that's important and why were you involved and maybe just a little bit about what it does. So the JVC is really sort of a self, it's an industry group that's really sort of a self-regulatory body. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea of, you know, these sort of industry groups is that, you know, if, if they can come together and agree that, you know, they will promote compliance and that their members will be compliant, then it sort of keeps the government from creating a bunch right. of regulations mm-hmm. and making life more difficult for the industry members. And so that's kind of the purpose of the JVC. And, and then, you know, what it means for jewelers really at any level, I mean, you know, at the David German level, including at, you know, much smaller brands, mm-hmm. is that they make available for either free or for very little, you know, just a very small investment, mm-hmm. um, incredible resources that explain really the soup to nuts of all the issues that come up with jewelry compliance. And there are an amazing number of issues. So many, yeah. yeah. We used to do, uh, we used to offer some, just like a meeting with them yeah. and they would come and present to small groups of, of jewelers. And I was always like, Oh my God. It's crazy. Like, it's crazy. I, I think my favorite regulations are around, um, irradiated gemstones. Hmm. And so I think, think it's, pretty... I've never heard somebody say the sentence, <laughs> my favorite <laughs> regulation. <laughs> Yeah, I want to know what it, what yeah, is it. Please not, elaborate. Clearly not talking. <laughs> clearly not talking to enough lawyers. I, I'm not. Yeah. I'm really not. It's, yeah. It's so, Did they tell you we talk about the housewives? <laughs> <laughs> so blue topaz is is turns blue because it is subjected to nuclear radiation. Oh, I did. Yeah. Know that. Did you know that? Yeah. No, I, did, they throw I worked at a jewelry acids? store for a while. Oh, yeah, I learned, you did. Yeah. I learned so you much stuff about it. Yeah. So, Wait, what kind of radiation? Well, like how, what is this? Quite literally, like they put it in a nuclear reactor mm-hmm. and it turns it 
blue. Are you yeah. serious? And this is why they have untreated stones now, because the, these sorts of things yeah. are... Yeah. And, yeah. S- and so you need to make sure that like your product isn't hot before you're selling it to a customer. <laughs> well, no shit. Yeah, that sounds awful. Have fingers start <laughs> snapping like... off. Like, it's insane. <laughs> I had no idea this was a thing. Am I this glib? I had no clue no, this was a thing not. that was No, you're not. No, I mean, this is, uh, this is a deep cut. Yeah, here. wow. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, exactly. But that's not what they're referring to when they're talking about like heated... Rubies well, or something like that. They are treated, but it's not nuclear. It's a different no, treatment. not, it's not everything is tre- so <laughs> yeah. Not everything's thrown no. into a nuclear. No, but yeah, it's a, a similar thing. I mean, the whole goal is like that color that people right. want. It's just desirability. That's insane. Right? Yeah. So you throw plutonium at it. Yeah, exactly. And, then, <laughs> and, and it magically. Turns blue. And it turns blue. And it's really pretty, and you make rings out of it. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> That sounds great. And lo and behold, there are regulations. Which, shockingly, well, exactly. shockingly, <laughs> I wonder. Exactly. I wonder why that would be the case. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, you know, and so you know, you find yourself like with a Geiger counter and. <laughs> no, really. Yeah. This is bad shit. Really, yeah, really, what, what is wrong with us? Exactly. I don't do know. This? But if you, if you, I don't know. If you, if it weren't for the JVC, how would we know this sort of thing? Right. I, I mean, it's very know. nuanced exactly. the work they do. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. So then they go with a Geiger meter and they tell you, okay, you can sell this. <laughs> exactly. No cancer here. Go on. No risk of your teeth falling out. Exactly. Don't need We're to good. mention it. Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of it too. Is. Um, be, being transparent and honest. And, and I think that's a, a lot of the great work that yeah. JVC yeah. does. Yeah, there's so much around jewelry that's about disclosure, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of treated gemstones, I mean, so much of what the regulations are around any sort of treated gemstones is that it's been subject to a treatment, so you're aware of that. And then it may require special handling. And mm-hmm. so, you know... Well, I, yes. Yeah, exactly. It has that Hazmat suit, over your over gloves. your gown to the Met Gala. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she must be wearing topaz because oh, yeah. <laughs> she's in a lead sarcophagus. Yeah, that must be why. Oh my god! Wow, so funny, so good. We That's could go great. down a long rabbit hole. I love that. <laughs> so, um, I just want to do a little plug for them. Jewelry Week is a member of the JVC. They've been they've offered legal counsel to us on numerous occasions as well. It's a great great resource yeah it's an incredible resource exactly and um yeah and you know i've i've (laughs) been obviously a member for a long time and then i've turned some friends on on to it that Mm -hmm. have you know work with established brands that are now starting to produce um you know to sell jewelry and and you know there's just it open there's a whole world of regulation that you wouldn't know existed Mm -hmm. unless an organization like the jvc was there to to help you along that's brilliant yeah yeah do you think, in your experience going from fast food into jewelry into more fashion-focused brand, are there specific things that jeweler, young jewelers entering the space should be aware of, legal-wise? What there, does that have to do with fast food? No, I just mean because you, you are there differences like yeah. from that space to, you yeah, know? yeah. Well, look, I think that um, you know, I think you know, the biggest issues are the ones we've sort of touched on, I think, mm-hmm. around IP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think all the, these sort of compliance issues mm-hmm. that yeah. we've talked about. And Taco yeah. Bell is probably not putting anything right. in a nuclear reactor. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully. Right. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. That's a story for another time. <laughs> yeah. That's a different different podcast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so what about blind spots that jewelers might be missing? Is there it's, anything? Yeah, most jewelers ahead. know to be aware of issues of copyright. Right. They're concerned yeah. with that. They're concerned with protecting their designs, their IP, their branding, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. what are people usually not thinking mm-hmm. about? 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I do think that what people they they're people focus on protecting their products. They're mm -hmm. less focused on how they might be copying others. Yes, and yeah. so you know, and I think that you know, I, I know because I'm more often on the writing end of you know sort of mm -hmm. nasty grams yeah. to smaller jewelers saying, mm -hmm. look this looks an awfully awful lot like my clients and you know and and maybe you maybe you don't know my client but yet you're selling a piece that's a knockoff of theirs mm. so is um, that what your emails sound like <laughs> like, hey, this looks an awful lot like my exactly. clients maybe don't exactly yeah. I, I bet they're not that slight, nice slightly bigger words yeah. yeah bigger words and I'm sure they sound a lot scarier yeah, yeah exactly. how do the is there like a special class lawyers take where they're like don't use these words use these words you know it's so interesting that we use the biggest <laughs> scariest words when we're trying to be big and scary yeah, yeah. and then and then we, we all are sort of have beaten into us that we need to use like yeah. less big words and less scary words when we're trying to just sort of communicate. Have a common normal yeah, yeah, yeah. Be on a podcast. Yeah, that's yes. right. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's why we prepped a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're very prepared. Um, but the other thing I think is, you know, is entering into, you know, commercial negotiations with, you know, the jewelry stores and the department stores, you know, again, mm -hmm. and it all probably happens relatively fast and, and it's all very exciting at the beginning, but you you know, you develop a line and the next thing you know, you're in, you know, five Neiman Marcus stores and then they want you to be in all the Neiman Marcus stores and you have a much bigger sort of, you know, deal with them. And have you really stopped and thought about what that the commercial negotiation and, that. and the look and the legalities yeah. and, and, you know, how, how can you protect yourself in that situation, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, at the outset so that you're not kind of realizing that you've given away too much at the beginning because you know you kind of didn't know and you were just excited to be there but mm -hmm. you know so as you're as you're growing your brand and thinking about your your business setting up a, a structure for your commercial deals that's going to make sense when you are you know not when you're small but when you're mm -hmm. when you're a bigger player yeah. let me ask you this because this is something i encounter i'm a commercial photographer so i'm always being asked well i'm actually not always being asked i always have to have these conversations about usage terms and that sort of thing yeah. for um, campaigns we shoot and sure. how people license the imagery and of how course. they use it and all that stuff is. Mm -hmm. And I'm always completely shocked and baffled by uh, the general lack of knowledge and understanding that one, that's even a thing that you have to think about when right. you hire somebody to produce, you know, commercial imagery for sure. you. Sure, of course. And they have no idea... Um, what kind of industry standards are right. for those kinds of agreements, what they ought to look like, and that sort of thing. Um, is that something that the JVC helps with as well? No, because the JVC um, will really be focused on the, the jewelry-specific The jewelry-specific stuff, yeah. But, you know, you, you raise a great point, and... Um, I you usually know, try. Exactly. I try. <laughs> look at you, just <laughs> right Genius. and left. The, yeah. You know, an issue that literally... Uh, all brands face in the, you know, in, you know, social media is everything is, you know, it, it, you know, a starlet wears your, you know, your piece of jewelry. And so you put it up on your mm -hmm. Instagram page. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, most of the times it's fine because, um, that, you know, the star obviously likes your product because mm -hmm. that's why she or he or she is wearing it. Yes. But the problem is a photographer took that picture. That's right. And the photographer is going to, um, you know, may not be as excited that you're using that picture. Yeah. 
arguably for right. commercial purposes, and he's not he or she's not getting any you know compensation or mm-hmm. credit for it. Yes, and um, and that's the big you know one of the big watchouts. So you know you sort of you have the issue with the celebrity, and you could you know probably the celebrity is not going to come out after you, but the photographer very well might mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. you are maybe infringing his copyright. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you recommend that when you're starting out a business? Obviously, meet with a lawyer, but do you to have access to a lawyer at all times as you're starting out a business? Like, what sort of relationship do you recommend for yeah, small businesses? It, it's a it's a great question. And look, I mean, there's obviously a, when you're a small business, you have limited resources, yeah. and and you know, and and it's just not reasonable to think that you are going to have a lawyer you know, on on a retainer or even that you're calling on a regular basis just because it's not cost effective. But, you know, you do want, I think, to bring them in at certain key moments, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly as you're sort of organizing yourself. Um, You know, I think it'd be helpful to get, you know, sort of a basic understanding around the intellectual property issues because, you, you know, you really can sort of stumble on yourself, you know, stumble on you know, inadvertently copying someone else or missing the opportunity to protect something mm-hmm. and then having, you know, that protection then lost and then, you know, yeah. it, everybody else is ripping it off because you haven't done anything about mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, if you, you, you'll have a name for your business and, you know, you'll want to make sure that that name is, doesn't infringe on somebody else's name and that you ultimately protect that name. Right. Um, like this podcast, we just named it and then realized there are like three other rough cut podcasts. Well, we've no, just but been they, uh, with slight iterations, slight iterations. It's not exactly. Yeah, it's like the rough cut. And it's oh, like, oh, okay. what is that? And yours is R U F F, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's the rough cut. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, exactly. yeah you're right. Exactly it's totally it fine. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, my other question is uh, related to that: is how do you find where? What are the resources to find the right lawyer to work with? I would imagine, as a jeweler, you have to find someone who understands that space. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that, um, you know, there are issues that are very unique to the jewelry mm-hmm. industry, as we've talked about mm-hmm. here. And so, um, you know, having someone that has experience in that space is helpful. The, you know, I mean, the truth is that um, there's not a lot of us. I mean, you know, there the, the, there's those of us that have practiced in-house um, for jewelry brands, and then there are, you know, firms that, that mm-hmm. support those brands. Um, the JVC actually has a list of um, attorneys that they recommend mm-hmm. on their mm-hmm. website, jvclegal.org, including mm-hmm. yours truly. Um, and, um, and, and you know, there's plenty of, obviously, there's a plethora of incredible, wonderful, wonderful attorneys that you can get advice from. But I do think something that, you know, we at Fixer do that's, that's special is that we have worked in-house in this industry for a mm-hmm. long time. We've seen if not all the issues, yeah, you know, the vast majority of them. And so, you know, we, I think we feel like we have a real sort of, you know, practical take on addressing these issues um, in a way that business people can implement, um, you know, sort of more readily than what you might get if you're sort of forced to read a long yeah. memo or, you know, read a book about it yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no one's reading a book if they don't even want to. <laughs> yeah, like, they're not doing they that. They don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely like, not too doing creative. That. Back to that point. Yeah. Well, so in exciting news, you had mentioned to me that Fixer is starting an accelerator, which is designed to support 
these smaller businesses. That's I'm right. Excited to That's hear right. About that. um, you know, it is, um, you know, truly right now a twinkle in our collective eye. But, uh-huh. um, but the idea is, again, that we, we recognize there are a number of brands, you know, we're just, you know, there's a big space between zero and $10 million in revenue and a lot of brands that, you know, could use our help. Um, and so this accelerator concept is one idea about helping these, you know, really more true startup brands and providing them with um, resources, with, with counsel, with help in establishing themselves and giving them sort of, you know, a, a, you know, a boot camp yeah. or, you know, training around all the issues that we've talked about today. Um, and so that's something, you know, again, still very much in the, the thought stages, but I'm confident we'll, we'll, we'll be rolling it out, you know, sometime in 23, because we, we know that there is sort of this underserved market and, um, and we'd love to find a way, uh, to work with them. And so, you know, this accelerator is, it's exciting. It is exciting. It's also really needed. Yeah. I was going to say that. It's so important to have. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we're going to work with you guys I once know. that's out exactly. hopefully it helps spread the word exactly yeah we would love that we would love that too because like what this podcast specifically wait would we love we it do we get a cut <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah huge cut okay we just said it we just um yeah we get asked all the time yeah. questions and uh it's hard to keep up we just know there's so many questions out there when the and the real reckoning for any brand is when you want to seek outside investment so when it's you when you know your friends and family you know mm-hmm. they'll, they'll put money behind you no matter what you're doing yes. it's all fine yeah, yeah, but yeah. when you want to bring in you know outside investors they want to see that things have been done in a certain way mm-hmm. and so that's yeah. where you know kind of the rubber hits the road and that's what you know we what the kind of idea of the accelerator is to position companies that they would that they would be able to bring in outside investment because they would have sort of you know cleaned up their act a little bit and, yeah. and put in place all the, you know, processes and procedures and infrastructure that you need to do to take on, mm-hmm. yeah. take on investment. That's great. And they should all be thinking about that. Absolutely. So, yeah. So what is your advice for young jewelers uh, or young businesses starting out? Do you have anything specifically you'd love to say? Yeah. So I think that, um, I think that you have to sort of start with the end in mind mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it's easy to kind of get caught up in the day to day and then, you know, be surprised by the fact that, you know, there's, you know, positive reception for your product and people want to buy it. And, but, you know, again, as I've said before, you know, the challenge is you're, you're going to get to be a certain size and you're going to realize that you made some decisions sort of mm-hmm. on the fly because, you know, you were being opportunistic and all the right things, but if you take the time at the beginning to really think about, you know, where you want to be, where you see this mm-hmm. brand developing, and then, you know, you know, put yourself in that position when you're negotiating and not in the position of, oh, I'm just starting out and, you know, oh, right. I'll and take I, whatever you uh, give yeah, me. Yeah, exactly, which is what yeah. most people end up doing. Which most people yeah. end up doing, right? Yeah. Um, then I think you'll, you know, you, you'll, you'll position yourself, obviously, much better um, in, in the long run. And, you know, and then you are your only advocate. Nobody else is going to be thinking about all of those things yeah. other than you. Yeah. And so, so true, um, yeah. You know, sort of stop and, and think that this you know, the reason you're doing it is you want it to be much bigger than it is today. Yeah. And what should that look like? Mm-hmm. And how can you protect yourself? Right. Brilliant. I think, ready. and that goes back to your, your annoyance about this creative thing. 
It, it just drives like, me wild. If you're going to stay in that mindset, you're just never going to get there. But that's like, the you thing. have to do the thing. Exactly. You've got to do all the other th- things that, you, that aren't fun. The right. uh, sort of less fun aspects of the business. Right, call a lawyer. He thinks it's fun. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sure he thinks it's great fun. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and you know and and um, and if it, if it's not a lawyer, it's a trusted confidant. It's somebody you know you, you know recognize mm-hmm. your strengths and mm-hmm. and you know oftentimes your strengths are your creativity. Yeah. And yeah. and also for me, it's my legs. <laughs> I was going to say it was me, but oh yes, that yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> Long term liability, I think. <laughs> So I would classify this speak. relationship as <laughs> long-term liability. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to close it out if uh, with any resources that you might recommend. Mm-hmm. Perhaps Fixer. Yeah, exactly. Fixer, <laughs> when well, it's ready. Yeah, yes. it, that's right. So, you know, jvclegal.org, um, you know, the JVC, Tiffany Stevens and her team are a great resource, and I, you know, wholeheartedly plug them for any and every jeweler, like go to that website now, learn what you can. There are all sorts of great resources there. Amazing. And if you sign up, tell them that jewelry week. Can, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> can we come up with a jewelry week like discount code? Yeah, they right. can yeah. use a check. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Probably not. No. no. Discount code, rough cut. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Just want Tiffany to know we're putting in the work. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, call, call us, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then, you know, if not us, you know, call your lawyer friend and, mm-hmm. um, and make sure that you are, um, again, putting in the work at the at the start so that you're not, you know, m- patching over mistakes later. Down. I will say one yeah. thing. Yes, you call your lawyer friend. That's all mm-hmm. fine and well. But I've had clients who have lawyer friends yeah. who are not sort of specialized or, or particularly kind of understanding about the nuances of my business and the jewelry business in general. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I receive contracts back from them that are batshit right. that would just not fly uh, for any photographer. Yeah. So I think it does help to reach out to somebody like you who mm-hmm. actually operates in this space. I'm not just saying that to plug you, yeah. but I yeah. think it, it genuinely makes a difference. No, well, look, yeah. I, 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 I know that to be the case, and I, yes. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and I, and I, I think that we have, um, you know, carved out a, you know, sort of a really interesting niche for ourselves because we... You know, we we're not a law firm, and we we don't really you know purport to be one, but we really mm-hmm. purport to be more of a member of mm-hmm. our clients' teams, mm-hmm. um, helping them sort of navigate yes. all of these issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's really fascinating. Yeah. I know it's been a lot of fun. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The law is a lot of fun, and he has favorite regulations it, too. Exactly. I know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Making the law fun. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> the no, the way. law actually yes. is. Genuinely really fun. I always mm-hmm. found it fascinating. I loved uh, learning about American law and the legal system here. It's always fascinated me. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, good. Mm-hmm. We'll talk later. You guys can yeah. hang out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about our favorite regulations. That's too. right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So we'll post all those links for you guys. And thank you so much, Phillips, for being here. Pleasure. Great thank you for having me. Thank you so, so much. Fun. This yeah. is probably the only... <laughs> useful episode we've yeah. ever recorded on this show. You can show. listen to it over and over. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Alright, this has been Rough Cut. I'm JB Jones. I'm Alan Seavich. Thanks for being here. Bye.
Don't fidget. I apologize. Don't fidget. No yeah, I apologize for him. Yeah, <laughs> in advance. <laughs> yes. Uh, I well, listen, one of, one of us has to be the bad guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. One of us has to do it. Yeah. So, like, try to avoid tapping because all of that gets picked up. Yeah. It's quite loud yeah, on the mic. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I crunch my chips. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I started eating them. She, she's going to start opening a bag so and eating chips in the middle of recording. I wish we had yeah. done like a we'll I would that. literally Google's murder episode. you. He yeah. would have walked out. Yeah. Like, Out of my own home. Yeah. yeah. But so you don't have to actually keep these on. Okay. I find